Welcome to the Rebel Physician Podcast, where we are creating a path for physicians to break free from the toxic medical system to create an enjoyable and a sustainable career in medicine. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo, push boundaries, and seek to create a better healthcare system for all. have a really wonderful treat for you today. I will start by saying that this is definitely on the more spiritual woo side, which is something that is one of my favorite things to talk about, but not like any of the other podcasts really that I've done. It's an interview with Christian Sundberg, and when he was a young child, he remembered his existence before coming to earth. While that memory left him completely for his early adult life, it spontaneously returned 13 years ago, as Christian took up a meditation practice and went through a personal awakening journey. He began having out-of-body experiences and has presented now at over 100 public speaking events as he seeks to remind others in at least a small part of who we really are beneath the human play. Professionally, Christian has worked for 16 years as a product manager for complex nuclear pump and valve manufacturing projects, and also now for an insurance company. He wrote a book called Walk in the Physical, which attempts to succinctly describe the larger spiritual context in which we exist and the importance of love in our human journey. And you can find that at www.awalkinthephysical.com. I have read the book. I have watched many of his interviews. And I just have a deep knowing that everything he says is true, at least in my own personal opinion. So at the very least... Enjoy this interview. Christian, I have been waiting for this interview for months, and (laughs) I know we've talked a little bit offline, but this is um, something that I've been really excited to bring to the physician space for a long time. I would love to start first with the boring, superficial 3D stuff of what you do day to day, who you are in that aspect. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for having me on. So yeah, in the boring human realm, as <laughs> as you put it. So professionally, I am a, a project manager for an insurance company right now. I manage a data consolidation project, but I spent 16 years managing complex nuclear valve and pump production projects. So very mainstream, you know, left brain <laughs> type activity set. Um, so that's what I do on the professional surface. I've been dedicating more time lately to sharing the message of you know what we're trying to uh, point to today because I went through an awakening process about 13 years ago. I began to have pre-birth memory return to me and I did not share it for the first like eight years or something because you know that's it's pretty out there for <laughs> intellectual types and left brain thinkers and professionals. You guys are professional, you just don't share that kind of thing. Um, but really I felt the call in the last five years to share openly and to help remind others of what we really are underneath all of even the professional guises that we wear. So at a very high level, that's what I do professionally. I'm also a father. I have two beautiful children and I'm pretty active locally and yeah, just living a stand kind of a standard American life. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And you had mentioned to me, I think that your wife is a nurse. Yes. So you have a, a sense of what the healthcare system is today as well. Oh yes. Um, so not so my wife is an RN. She works on a cardiac unit at the local hospital. She's been an RN for quite a long time. I want to say maybe fifteen or sixteen years. Mm-hmm. We've both both also had our you know our experience within the mainstream medical paradigm. Mm-hmm. 
health health management has been a huge part of my human journey. So I have, you know, I have feelings around that. So I'm really happy to be um, talking with this audience though, because this is such an important space. Oh my gosh, for the awakening of awareness. Oh my gosh, this is just a place, not even medicine aside, just this community <laughs> is such an important community to reach and to speak to. So I'm really honored to be here today. Thank you. I'm honored to have you. So you had mentioned about the pre-birth memories and at some point, you know, later in your life as an adult, they kind of came back to you. Could you, do you mind giving us a synopsis about what that was like? Yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, I have to disclaim before I try to speak to this, that words absolutely cannot do justice to this topic, you know, because words are language, they're forms, symbols. And they are based in the limitations of our local world. Um, it, they're based in our assumptions, like assumptions like discrete location and linear time and these things that seem so fundamentally real to us. You know, our true nature transcends that context. So it's like as soon as we open our mouth and put words on it, it's just it's just wrong. It's just so hard to to really put any language on it. So I just I really have to say that first. I'll try to be, um, you know, succinct in sharing because I've shared a number of times. And if anyone is interested, I have, you know, many other videos where I've shared this experience at length. But uh, to say it briefly, so, and I know this sounds strange. <laughs> like I said, you know, I'm a I'm a working mainstream professional here, and I I know how this sounds. Uh, yet, I'm hopeful that you know we can feel deep down that what's really going on here as I share this, because we've really all gone through something similar, even if we don't remember. <laughs> okay. So I remember long ago before I'd ever been physical, coming across a being who had been physical. And when I say I remember, I'll, let me just I'll frame it a little bit. When I was a small child, I had some pre-birth memory, uh, like before the age of five, you know, up till five, six. And I assumed everybody did. I just, I mean, I knew that we had come from somewhere else and that we, this was just like a game we were playing, you know, as spirit, as consciousness. And uh, nobody else talked about it, so I didn't either. But, it, but that memory left me completely by the age of like five or six. So when I was 30, I took up a long-term meditation practice and I did not expect anything. This memory began to return to me. So that's the quick context of where this, where this comes from. I also began to have out-of-body experiences. That's important to mention. Uh, very fully lucid, tangible experiences that are outside of the human experience. That was also very eye-opening. So for the pre-birth, um, I remember coming across a being who had been physical, like long, long, long ago. I say long ago, these memories are simultaneously ridiculously ancient and also alive and happening like right now. Like not like human memory, not like earthly memory, very deep in the being. And I came across this being and I was so inspired by the quality of his nature, the quality of who he is, because because in those systems, okay, so in the higher systems, the majority of the time our interaction is telepathic. It's an exchange of being because we are commonly cognizant of our connected nature. We can feel it, we know it, we can sense it. And so coming across this being, his nature, I could feel what he was. And it was like full of so much power and joy and freedom and like levels of knowing that I couldn't even touch. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what, what, you, what could you possibly have done to be this and to experience this? And do you feel as much joy and freedom as I feel that you are feeling? And he shared with me, yes. And um, this is all telepathic. So it's huge amounts of information all at once. But he shared with me, 
all of this amazing like quality of being. And I said, what could you possibly have done to be this? <laughs> it's very hard to describe this, but he shared with me that he had lived physical lives. And one of them was a life where he had suffered a physical ailment, a health condition. And there was a pain that stayed with him for years that he had to manage. He had to work through, not just physically, but spiritually. You know, he had to decide how to meet this and integrate this difficult experience. And the way that he did that allowed a refinement of his being, a refinement of who he is. And I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to do that. I'm going to do that. Like I was so inspired. And he said something to the effect of, and this is not negative, but it's like, yeah, that's what they all say. Like you just don't, you just don't know how difficult it can be. That's what you think. And I was, yeah, no, exactly. That's what you think. And I was like, no, I mean it. I'm, I'm serious. And he said, well, go talk to your guides. So I don't have right after that, but I remember finding this being later after I had lived a number of times, had a number of physical experiences is maybe a better even way to put that because <laughs> I know the idea of living multiple lives may sound strange already, but we have multiple experiences and I went back and found this being and he was encouraging. So um, then I, so the majority of my pre-birth memories of a time somewhat immediately preceding this human life where I had taken a long break. And I remember this guide coming to me repeatedly and asking me if I was ready to go back yet. And finally saying, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go back. And then reviewing with this guide, I, what I can only describe is like my state, who I am, who I've been, what I was. Uh, you, you might think of it very crudely as like virtues, or like a chart or something, but it was more like areas of areas of being, areas of experience, qualities of being that I had. And there was like one area that was just so obvious that I needed to quote unquote work on. I don't, I don't like the words work on, but I don't, I can't think of a better English way to put it. And it was this specific fear that had overcome me in a previous experience and bested me. And I knew that there was just a profound opportunity if I could meet and process that fear. And so they brought me a life that was very appropriate for my for the opportunity to meet that fear and to process and integrate that fear that life was not this life as christian it was one before immediately preceding this one and i remember reviewing it in detail and then uh, this process of surrendering to the veil so what i mean is there's this okay so we are consciousness that precedes the physical <laughs> we, we pre-exist so the veil just means the constraints in consciousness space that go along with having the bodily experience. And that includes forgetting all of the rest of what we really are. And it includes all the limitations of having a body and all the limitations of this local world, you know, all the, the physics and everything else. And I experienced it as a plummet in vibration down, 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 lower, 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 lower. I, I can't describe how much of a plummet in the vibration of the body of my awareness, it was to surrender into this veiling of becoming physical. And in that experience, I immediately, within, I was only there a very short time and I was like, I am not doing this. This is, <laughs> this is so low vibration. This is so dark. I had so much fear rise up immediately. I wasn't even born yet. I was just in the body in the womb. And I fought my way out from that and ended up causing a miscarriage and killing the body that was to be the body that I was to, you know, utilize. And I had a life review for that very short life. And I saw how my fear had impacted the mother and not only the mother, but hundreds of other people 
whose journeys would be made more difficult because of the grief that the mother now had to contend with. Like I was responsible for that ripple effect, uh, you know, even though I hadn't been physically born. And so um, to, to keep the, the, the story concise, they brought me this life subsequent to that. And this life was like pretty good. It wasn't as optimal as the first one would have been, but it was still very good. And I reviewed this life in incredible detail, millions and millions of possibilities of how this might, this life might unfold. And then once again, accepting the veil for this life and the plummet in vibration down, down, down into this place of being bodily in the womb. And once again, after I was there, after a short while, I was like, I'm not doing this. There is just, there's just no way I'm going to tolerate a lifetime of being this constrained and, and having all of what I am erased. <laughs> There's just no way. And I began to summon my might to fight my way out once again. But this time, uh, this time I had this incredibly holy experience that I just, I can't put words to, but the, the spirit of God, what we call God, it's beyond all language source, the great I am of all things came to me, expanded me back out. And I felt all the universe within me and all the stars. And I felt our star, the star of earth, churning with this raging bliss and i felt i felt that i was all that and i hadn't lost what i was and god said to me this is still what you are you can never not be this and i was like oh oh that's wonderful so i don't have to fight so i stopped fighting because it was like i was fighting because i was afraid of losing all that i really was so i knew that i didn't have to fight anymore since i really couldn't truly lose that so i surrendered into the you know the state of being in the womb and I remember a short time, well, actually it was experientially a long time, <laughs> but a, a time later being physically born and the shock and the light and the temperature and all the the sensory information of being born, but having no idea what was going on. I remember looking up in the nurses and just being like, who are these beings? What is going on? What is happening? And just being totally perplexed. Um, anyway, so that, yeah, that's a super quick summary. Um, there's a lot more to it. It's very difficult to describe, like I said. There's like a lot of simultaneity about it and about many layers of being that are simultaneously occurring. It's very difficult to crunch down into the linear story. Um, and and while I'm you know happy to share that memory because <laughs> I'm very passionate about pointing back towards what we really are, I think what's more important is that we focus on who we really are. You know, it's very interesting that <laughs> these events are interesting. But I feel like what's more interesting is who are we really? Like, what are we really doing here within the human experience? What is the human experience? Why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. And a couple of things I do want to tell you. So I don't know if I told you that I'm an OBGYN physician. I don't know if I told you my specialty. But the first time I heard your story in the moment you talked about your birth, um, I got goosebumps because... And as part, I do C-sections, you know, as part of my job. And I've always loved the moment of bringing, you know, this new life, this baby. And I just started doing, not that long ago, maybe a year ago, um, look, when the baby comes out, I feel like it's just tunnel vision. Like it's just me and this baby. And I just like whisper to it. And I say, you are so beautiful. You are so perfect. You are like, anyway, it's just a really special moment for me in my life. And I, so when you share that, um, it just makes me really emotional because I feel that like what an honor to 
be able to like welcome this soul, this life into earth. <laughs> it yeah. can be very traumatic with all the lights and the noise. So that's just something I to think to thank you really for sharing that because it really it hit home in my every you know my everyday job. Oh, so. thank you. Oh my gosh, that service you're providing by being there in that way is more important than you know. <laughs> that that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's get into the questions. The first question I have is that you've had a moment where um, you had this you had this desire or this knowing that you had to share, but you were in the context in Earth of this mm -hmm. living this this life. So, did you have any like ego doubt or fear about sharing this because of your job or your professional identity or not? Yeah, no, originally I did. Yeah, originally I definitely had some some ego fear around that, not just professionally, but also because of certain family relationships. Uh, my wife's parents are very conservative Christians. I knew that was going to be very difficult. It ended up being very difficult <laughs> as I came out of the closet years later. You know, but after like, I remember like seven or eight years after this came back to me and after I, I had had a number of out-of-body experiences, I remember one day driving down the highway and just knowing intuitively like, okay, the ground is fertile now, it's time. It's time to share. Like the like the ground had not been quite fertile enough and now it was just barely fertile enough, <laughs> something like yeah. that energetically to share. And I remember thinking, what am I afraid of? You know, I'm only here so many years. Am I really am I really that afraid of how society is going to respond that I don't want to share the truth of who we really are, which is so hopeful. <laughs> you know, it's such a, a message that it when we transcend all the context that asks for fear. We we don't need to be afraid. Mm -hmm. So how can I be afraid and not share, you know? So that was that was why I originally shared. And after I shared the first time, I, I thought, okay, I got it off my chest. I never have to talk about it again. And I, I went for a walk down the street and I felt a shift in the probabilities of the tree that I mentioned in my, my experience, reviewing the probability tree of how this life might unfold. And I knew that I had just picked a path that was now going to allow other things to unfold. And it was like, wow, whoa, <laughs> what does that mean? So, so since then I've decided, you know what, I'm all in. This is, uh, this is just, this is just what I need to share. This is who we are. What am I afraid of? And I'm yeah. so glad that I have, I mean, I've met so many amazing people and the thing, the thing that's amazing to me is like, this doesn't need to be religiously charged. It doesn't need to be dogmatically. It's not, to me, it's not strange. It's like totally normal. It's totally natural. This is just what we are. So I'm I'm really passionate about, you know, destigmatizing these conversations, especially in intellectual or professional settings. I mean, this is in my from what I've experienced, this is this is just what reality is. <laughs> Physical reality is just built within the larger reality. So it's okay to talk about it, question it. It's okay to share. It's okay that there are uh, many subject what we would consider to be subjective elements. You know, I know we we've grown up in a materialistic culture that believes in materialism. Yeah, it's actually not correct. <laughs> we are far more than just this materialistic system. So I'm happy to share that in whatever setting I can. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that you had, um, you had mentioned Tom Campbell, I think in your book, and um, I have watched a ton of his stuff. I love what he does. <laughs> He's amazing. And is that, so going back to that, so you know, a little plug for Tom Campbell, definitely check him out if you're a yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> Brainiac person. Um, 
what prompted the meditation practice? You said you spontaneously yeah. started meditation. So something must have. Yeah, Tom Campbell's. Uh, so Tom, Tom Campbell is a physicist and a consciousness explorer. And he, his work is the work that kicked me down this entire path. There was one video that I just stumbled across randomly, his Spain lecture. And, yeah. you know, it was just interesting. I was always a seeker, but at the time I had a, I had a strong Christian belief set, you know, that was pretty firmly rooted. And um, maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes into the video, he said one sentence that stung my ego. He said, what you believe is not going to get you anywhere particularly important in the spiritual context is what he meant. And I didn't like that. It stung my ego because at the time I believed I was justified by faith. You know, that's like a main mm -hmm. Lutheran tenet. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it stung and for a second I'm like, oh, I don't like that. But this little tiny nudge arrived. Why did that sting? And I was like, oh, why did that sting? Yeah, there must be a reason because <laughs> I was always seeking. So I continued to watch the videos. I watched all 13 hours of, his, of that Spain lecture. Then I bought his book. I got the, this huge book and I'm thinking, man, this is a thousand page book. Am I really going to take the time to read this book? Am I going to read the preface, you know, and I, the preface and I open it up and the first sentence of the preface is, yes, you need to take the time to read the preface. You live <laughs> in a culture where you believe this is a quick fix thing. Spiritual growth is not a quick fix thing. And I was like, oh man, this guy knows me. I got to, I got to keep reading. But the most important thing there was that early in the book and early in his videos, he recommended meditation. He basically said, go find out, go objectively investigate, be a scientist about it. Don't accept any new thoughts, any new beliefs, just go investigate experientially. What are you? What is your awareness beneath thought? And when I first started that practice, it just felt good. It was like relieving, stress relieving. I did a couple, two, ten, you know, two or three 10 minute sessions and I thought, oh, wow, I feel a lot better. That, that really was helpful. So I'm going to keep doing that. And that was originally why I continued. It was only because it was relieving. But after a couple of months, I had my first non-physical experience and it was like, holy crap, this is real. <laughs> There's something going on here. I got to keep going. You know, so I kept going. Yeah. And did you get your memories back during a meditation or did, was it kind of like trickled back to you or was it kind of, all of a sudden you had yeah. it? It was kind of there all at once. I, w I would say within, I don't know, six or eight or 10 months after I started meditating, definitely less than a year. Um, I don't know exactly. It wasn't like this big eureka moment. It was more like, so it was more like as I shifted my awareness towards what I really am, that part of what I really am was like obvious. It was just there. It was like someone had just blown leaves off of the grass and there was the grass. And that's normal. Grass is underneath leaves. That's just so normal. <laughs> that's all it was. And then one day I remember sharing it and being like, you know, I remember this. And I remember sharing, you know, a good bit, bit of detail. And this person said, oh, that's exceptional. And I thought, really? Because <laughs> even though, you know, of course, it, I guess on the surface it is exceptional. But at the time it didn't feel exceptional at all because I, it was just the most natural thing once I had reached that place of becoming very familiar with what I really am, my consciousness itself. That was just there. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you now remember like other lives that you've lived or other experiences that you've had besides the one you mentioned? I have some snippet memories from some other experiences I've had. Not too many. Sometimes I get curious and then I just usually get a, a gentle, no, you don't need to know that right now. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I do yeah. have some snippets. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the veil that you mentioned and, um, 
maybe have you explained because I love how your explanation about what what we're doing here, yeah, <laughs> and the experiences we have, and this is something that for me personally, as a physician, and staying healthy as a physician mentally and emotionally, yeah, the knowledge of who I am is um, healing, and oh, yes, it's like the only possible thing that helps me to do what I do as a physician. I, th I don't, actually don't know if there's any other way to do it except for to have this anchoring knowledge of yes. who we are. So um, could you explain that the veil a little bit more, you know, what, what why we forget and why yeah. we're here? Yeah, sure. Like so, bef so before I speak to that specifically, I want to make one point to what you were saying. What we really are consciousness itself spirit itself another word we could use for that is life with a capital l <laughs> now the reason i'm pointing that out is because that is the source of all healing and that's the source of all the activities of the body that run <laughs> you know it's the fuel of all things so i'm pointing that out because when we get in touch with who we really are it's incredibly healing and empowering because it's the source of the true um I don't know, the energy that is underneath all things, including bodily operation. So I'm just highlighting that because that sounds abstract, but I want to point to that right away because, you know, as, as we talk about these topics, that's really important to know. Like, you know, I know we tend to think of the body very mechanically. We got to fix the mechanical problems. And if you've got a mechanical problem with the body, our system's great. If you have an operational problem with the body, it tends to be less efficient. I've experienced that myself, I, but I'm just pointing out that underneath all this, who we really are is life. Like we are the vibrant, thriving, powerful substance of life. Okay. So why do we accept a veil to come and be human? So this is really difficult to speak to from here. Uh, there are a couple of metaphors that are very helpful. But before I mention those, I'll say very succinctly. So the the veiled experience of biology of being human offers a very unique constraint set and circumstance set through which we get to make choices. That's the, that's the bottom line. Choice-making opportunity and an opportunity for experience integration. Because what we really are is conscious. What we really are is integrators of experience. We want to go have experience, figure it out, <laughs> process it, and processing it, by the way, here happens a lot in the body <laughs> too. We pro we're bodily, so we process things bodily. So we do that to experience contrast because contrast is useful for growth. Now, what, what does that mean? So metaphorically, it's like, why would you ever lay down on a weight bench and lift weights? Like, why would you ever put yourself under stress? <laughs> that sounds crazy. Or why would you go for a jog? Yet physicians will tell us that it's very healthy. To, there's very positive effects on the body to go for a jog because when you put it under that stress, it promotes well-being, vibrance, healing. The spirit is kind of like that actually in that it benefits from working through contrast. And so the constraint set of buying into this veil is, is merely the mechanism through which we can experience being just human, apparently. <laughs> We're not actually just human, but if you want to have the experience of being the human, you got to be the human, man. <laughs> you can't be everything. You got to be you. You got to be just the body. You got to be looking at your eyeballs and you got to make decisions in the morning when you get up tomorrow morning, you know, if it's a Tuesday or a Saturday, whatever day it is, as if that's who you are exactly. 
And the veil permits you to be very deeply immersed in that perspective. And then later when the body passes and the constraints are lifted, you get to retain all of that beautiful experience you had. You get to retain the experiential learning. Now, like the, so learning is an important part of it. That doesn't mean intellectual learning necessarily. You know, we tend to think of learning means facts. I'm talking about a learning of the being by being something. And that's what we're doing here is being human. And the veil allows that. Yeah. And I think one thing that you had mentioned in your book or we had another, another interview is that the reason like we might have just come to experience like one very specific yeah. challenge or, or impact one other life. And that's the mystery. We don't know, you know, most of us don't know, like the reason that we chose this life at this time. But I think that's part of the magic of it. It, it really kind of makes each moment magical thinking that like, is this the moment? Like, yeah. and if this is the moment, then, you know, then showing up with love is so important because yes. <laughs> I don't want to miss it. You know, like if this is the moment, then let's bring love, which has helped me. And in fact, I'll share. I was uh, um, sued because I'm an OBGYN physician. So it's given a lawsuit several years ago. Um, and the thing that helped me more than anything is focusing on love for every other person. Loving my patient was very easy because I knew her. Um, loving the lawyer who was writing awful things about me was hard. Yeah. yeah. But spending the time in love, like holding the intention for love of him um, mm. was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And I think really did help me you know, me, this identity is pristine, but also in a different way, like it, it, to bring love to that scenario, which is terrifying. And, you know, your ego yeah. is very upset about that, but to, yes. oh, to, <laughs> yes. to, so that's just more of kind of like a tangible example of like the power that I have, I have felt when it comes to really focusing on love. That's a, that's a great example of intentionally lifting the weight as it were. Here, the mm -hmm. counter pressure is offered to you. Guess what? You just got sued. Mm -hmm. That sucks. It means something about me is what the ego says. It means yeah. this. It has monetary implications. It has all these things, all, these, all this meaning. Mm -hmm. How do you respond? <laughs> See, that's the key. It's not It's not yeah. just what happens to us. It's how we choose to respond. So I want to make another quick comment to your, your, your comment about any one thing might be what we come to experience. Yes. And that might even mean one simple service to somebody else because... Love is our true nature and love is serving. It wants to give, it wants to help. It wants to help. It wants to give and be of assistance. And so we love each other. Like every one of us at the root spiritual level is connected. We're all brothers and sisters. We may have forgotten it deeply and we play the role of strangers and all these professional roles and that's fine. But at the root, we're all connected and, and pre-life, we may choose to come just to help one other being do one thing, experience one thing, get through one thing because we love them. And we say, yeah, I'll take on all the constraints of that life for you, for just this one thing. We we very well can do that. That's um, it's an offering. Yeah. And I'll just, for physicians, I think that this is a really important distinction to make because I think most physicians really have healing and service in their heart, but it gets 
got messed up along the way with the conditioning of oh my gosh, yes. training and people pleasing and insurance companies. Yeah, proving <laughs> your value yeah. by you know all these things. But this, there's a separation here of to to really truly love and serve your patients. It's so important to have the have clean intentions. Meaning, it's what it's very different for me to go to work because I'm scared of getting fired and I want to prove my value and I don't really think I'm worthy unless everyone thinks I'm amazing at surgery and you know mm-hmm. going in and punching the clock, you know, and just doing the work. Versus going in with the intention of I who like who who can I serve through love today? And I think there's one which is where the medical system is, which is very egocentric. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a fear-based way Yeah. versus where medicine can be truly healing is holding space with love Amen. for our patients. And I think that's the disconnect right now that we're feeling. Absolutely. No, we've inst- institutionalized fear mechanisms in more than just medicine, you know, all over, all throughout our society. But you touched on a really important point. This is so important. If there's like nothing else we can highlight with a highlighter, this is like so key. What we're here to do is to wield an intention that is more in alignment with love and less with fear. That's what we're here to do. <laughs> like our true mm-hmm. nature is love, not fear. Fear is a rejection. It, it it happens only when we bind to an association with something that's not our true nature. And we've done that all over the place in our world history and institutionalized all sorts of us versus them thinking and conflict. And it's all it's 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 everywhere. What we're here to do though is to wield an intention in alignment with love, service, joy, freedom. And that can mean a lot of different things. It, it's just like you said, it's what the what's the quality with which I'm doing this thing? The quality with which I'm meeting this person, am I being present with them? Am I seeking to help them and serve them? Or am I serving myself? Now, we may tell ourselves one story on the surface, by the way. I just want to point out real gently that spirit sees what our real intent is all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you will see after the life is, is done. <laughs> when you look back and have the life review, it, it's very clear what, what, you know, what you really were motivated by. And yeah. so that may seem on the surface like unimportant. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just pointing out like we tend to think of what's the material result? What objects have I moved around or not moved around today? That's how we think in the physical. But what matters is not that size, not that scope, not the object moving around, not the money. What matters is the the why, the quality of the why. That's what you keep. That's That's what you've, that's your accomplishment, you could say. The true success is in loving the other person in whatever small way, even living in joy. You have a really stressful job. You work all the time for ungrateful people who are crabby and insurance companies who want you to spend 15 minutes or less in the room or whatever it is. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, then how do you choose joy for yourself? How do you choose freedom? How do you still bring some compassion to the next person in the next room after seven hours or something that you've been doing this? Like that quality is. That's that's so powerful. It's so meaningful. It's what we're here to do. Yeah, yeah. I love how you explain that. And and I, I, I t- it touched on something I wanted to ask you about, which is this I, this idea of surrender. And because it, it you it sounds yeah. like your spirit surrendered, like it had to surrender. You kind of have to to be here. <laughs> and <laughs> surrender it, it, to me, I, in my experience, has been um, 
very difficult, <laughs> but also very rewarding. So I'm just wondering, yeah. uh, you know, when it comes to like, we have identities like Dr. So-and-so or mm -hmm. I am a father, whatever these identities are that we cling to so mm -hmm. much. And where does surrender fit into that? And how does that, how can that help us? I guess. Is the yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, surrender is one of the most important aspects of loving intention because love is accepting. It doesn't fight, resist, block off, put conditions on something. Fear is rejecting and blocking off and putting conditions on something. Controlling. <laughs> and controlling. Fear is says, I need to control this because if I don't control this, this bad thing is going to happen. I'm afraid of that. See, I don't want that. So I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. That's See, that's fear. Love is so loving that when we say, I would like to forget all that I am and come down and have a physical experience where all this crazy craziness has happened, love says, I love you so much, you can do even that. You see? So I'm just pointing that out because then surrender is, okay, now that we're here, <laughs> it's, it, it takes a lot of humility and bravery to recognize how afraid we are. Okay, I'm not making light of it because this is like climbing Mount Everest, being human. The level of constraints are off the charts. <laughs> They're neutral. It's a neutral set of constraints. We're applying all the meaning, okay? But the constraints themselves are very extreme. And sometimes, especially in health crises, they're really extreme. And, and then the question is, how do we respond to that? Fear rejects. Fear grasps for control. When I first walked into my psychiatrist's office years ago, when I was trying to process a, uh, a trauma that I'd experienced in my early 20s, there was a sentence written on her chalkboard that at, the, at first only pissed off my ego. And I, and I thought it was just a cute, you know, fluffy sentence. But now I realize it's very literally true. The sentence is, power lies in accepting powerlessness. Now, at the time, I thought that's BS. That's not powerlessness is not power. Uh, how, no, actually, <laughs> at the root, the quality of intention is our true power. What it, how, what, how are we choosing to meet something? And when we surrender, that means fully accept, fully allow, fully say yes to life, even if you have a very painful health condition. I had a spontaneous hemoneumothorax in my 20s. I had a lung collapse. I was in the hospital for 10 days with a tube in my chest. Very difficult to accept. <laughs> Extremely painful. A few years ago, my gallbladder was failing. I spent about two months walking around my house crying because <laughs> it was so painful. Difficult in the moment to accept, but the, in my case, those two scenarios had different outcomes. When I had my lung collapse, I, was not, I had not awakened. I, I only rejected with the gallbladder pain, it was like, oh, this, this is a strong sensation arising. How do I respond? I chose my very best to not resist, to surrender to it, to allow. And then when it came time for surgery, historically, surgery had been fear-provoking for me. So, you know, surrendering your consciousness to anesthesia, that doesn't sound nice. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I walked up to the operating table, fully alert, fully present, without fear, laid down and said, okay, mm -hmm. take away my consciousness, cut out a piece of my body, you know? That the difference between those two is the, is the way we allow and meet like that quality of intention. And what's very interesting is the vast majority of suffering on earth happens from the resistance, <laughs> from the yeah. fear. 
pain itself is a relatively small amount of the, the net negative experience. Most of the negative we experience is our own fear, or our own suffering because of our rejection and, and the meaning we've put on things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can. I, doctors I talk to all the time. It's, it's you know, tactively what this looks like is for physicians anyway, is um, this job is not working. I'd have this. I knew it. You know, I know it's not working. I'm seeing too many patients. I'm in physical pain. My body yeah. is telling me it is I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I don't I feel things I don't like to feel like resentment and, you know, irritability and anger. Mm-hmm. And I have this knowing that mm-hmm. I need to to leave. But then all these reasons, oh, I can't abandon my patients. I oh, it's like the right thing for my family and all these things. And it was only, it was not until I was fully able to surrender, which was in my kitchen saying, I surrender, fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. But yes. then there was this moment of really, truly like surrendering to what is what? and the recognition that the only thing I'm hanging on to are fears of all the things that have ne- had not happened. <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, be sued by the hospital. I didn't want to make my partners mad at me. Yeah. And the things that I was willing to do by torturing myself in order to avoid all these things that may or may not come to fruition mm-hmm. was, was crazy. But we do this all the time. The things that we go through in case something we might have to experience one day would happen. Absolutely. You meant you mentioned powerlessness and power, power, personal power, mm-hmm. and um, you talk. You are so inspiring when it comes to how powerful we really are, and physicians don't feel powerful. We mm-hmm. feel like we are victims to our employers. We're victims to insurance, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's a common mentality and i think that some physicians are very have more awareness where i can see that this is victim and hood you know and others don't it is very much like i this is it is what it is this is the life that i you know yeah but i'm on a mission to welcome the thought that physicians have way more power personal power than than most think so could you share your thoughts about that yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, great. There are so many layers that we have power that we don't recognize. <laughs> I'm passionate about it. We could spend all hour talking about this one topic. So first of all, at the root level, the true power of all things is spirit consciousness itself. Now we've bought into a constraint set that seems extremely dense. The, the physical is extremely consistent, persistent. It doesn't bend easily to our intention. It does It does actually bend to our intention. <laughs> it's just much slower than higher systems, which are thought responsive. So, so one aspect of power I identify is mechanical. And what I mean is in spirit, mechanically, the physical has no choice but to listen to you. <laughs> I know that seems crazy when things are very, like they seem very firm. But actually, this ex- this whole physical reality is it's an experience, a vir- like a virtual experience, more than an objective material place. It looks like an objective material place, pretty pretty intensively, but it's actually probabilistic in how it unfolds. And um, Tom Campbell talks about that in the first two hours of his Spain lecture, actually, that we mentioned earlier. If anybody's interested in that, there's some interesting uh, 
quantum mechanics explanations and there, he talks about probability distributions and I've participated in some brief experiments that I saw with my own eyes how our intention can shift how reality is unfolding. That's really important to understand because as soon as you intend something different, as soon as you, even just as simple as buying into your own freedom, wow, I do not feel free because I'm working 12 hours a day and I don't get to choose my own time and I don't have power over my life and I have to do, all, you know, <laughs> The moment we make the shift of, you know what, I am going to dare to recognize I'm valuable. I'm worthy. I have power. I need rest. <laughs> I need mm-hmm. rest. You know, as soon as, even just that little shift, reality will respond. You may not see it on the surface right away, but it has no choice to respond because that's just mechanically how it works. Now, it's responding to everybody else too, but the more pure your intention the more authentic and genuine you are within yourself, the more reality responds. Authenticity is like a superpower. As soon as you tap into that, reality is like, oh, okay, I'm listening, boss. Because <laughs> we're, like yeah. we're like a part of the, um, you put it, put it in very dry computer terms, you could say that we're like part of the server that's giving rise to the virtual reality. So it can't, it can't do anything but listen. Okay, so then the second main way that we have power is that we're applying all the meaning yeah so all the circumstances arising it doesn't arrive charged it arrives neutral and then we super quick put a meaning on it and then we don't even realize we put a meaning on it so there's this really important moment and this is one of the first things i feel that meditation allows someone to gain space in is that you realize oh oh, wait i just had this thought oh but i'm not that thought (laughs) or this meaning has arisen wait 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 i put that meaning on this i was conditioned into that there's a lot more freedom there than it seems because as all of a sudden we, we re-relate to the context, as we do that, this space is created and this freedom is like generated and all of a sudden decisions open up to us that we didn't even know we had. <laughs> Choices open up. They're like, you know what? I was blinding myself to this choice or I didn't even realize I could do this. Or like I said, more to the first one, if you're authentic, the universe might lift up this tiny little thing where all of a sudden this right person walks in at the right time and says this right thing and it leads to something else. You never know. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying that that shift in identifying where you're placing the meaning, you know, that's that's a really important aspect. I think I'll, I'll stop at those two unless you have comments. Okay. I love that authenticity is a superpower. That's a favorite quote for, for the day so far. I love that. I want to just say one thing about that real quick that just popped in my head. I don't mean that in some like loosey-goosey abstract way. I mean like the world. (laughs) Okay, so, so, so let me just say it this way. What is, is consciousness and consciousness is having an experience. There's nothing anywhere that's not consciousness's experience of it. There's no such thing as, as that. There's only consciousness having experience. And the thing it's having experience of is also, you could say, made of consciousness, built from it. The physical is like a, a virtual construction built of consciousness. So the, so I'm, the reason I'm pointing that out is because when I say authenticity is a superpower, I don't just mean some like loosey-goosey put a poster on your wall, that sounds nice. I mean like the physical world it, and the way that your body feels, the, the way that energy is flowing through your body and your life force, the quality of your experience itself actually can't help but reflect back to you that shift because it's a shift in consciousness. You see, we're always looking to the physical. We're always saying, what thing can I move? What thing can I cut? What pill can I take? Yeah. 
bump some physical thing with some other physical thing. That's fine. You can do all that. That all works within the dream. But the dream is arising within something much more fundamental and powerful. And when that shifts, oh, magic happens. Yeah. And I think an example of what you're describing is what you mentioned earlier about when something is triggering, like when something irks you a little bit or, you know, when I get irritated at someone, it's like, oh, that really pissed me off. Yeah, it really pissed me off. Yeah. Acknowledge it. (laughs) Like what is happening? That's so fascinating, right? Because, you know, what, what, what are the spiritual adage is what as within, so without, but that's basically what you're saying is what is unfolding in your day to day. 9 a.m. on a Monday mm-hmm. has everything to do with your belief system and who you are showing up as and yes. what you can learn, right? Yeah, I could even put, yes, and I could even put that more grotesquely. There is no without. There's only your your experience, your consciousness experiencing. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's helpful for everybody, but what I mean is we tend to di- differentiate. There's this outside world. It looks real. We're touching it all day long. We're working in it. And then there's this kind of nebulous internal world. I kind of feel like certain things and I'm just a consciousness in a brain, right? No, that's actually reversed. It's actually only only consciousness at its root, at its root. So when consciousness shifts, it's like, it's not just the out, it's it's. It's like the thing that is has shifted. I don't know if that's helpful, but I... <laughs> so is this kind of like the, when you think about the, our experience being a hologram? Mm-hmm. Yes. So really nothing external is real. Not fundamentally real. Not it's a real experience. Real. It's a real experience. It's like if you go to sleep at night and you have a dream and, you know, you just touched a, in your dream, you, you had a fork and you ate some pasta, you know, and then you wake up in the morning in your bed and you're like, oh, wow. I had a dream I ate some pasta. Now, was there really a fork? No, not really. Was there really pasta? No. Did you have an experience? Yeah, you had an experience. So I know that this seems so darn dense and real, like this has got to this has got to be real, right? Hey, it's real. I mean, it's a real we're having a real experience right now. I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying we're not. We're at, this is real. But the thing is, when you wake up to the higher portions of yourself, either after death or through meditation, or through a spontaneous spiritually transformative experience, the realness and the veracity of those states of being is off the charts by comparison. And this can be seen as obviously the dream, just like in the morning when you wake up and obviously the pasta and the fork, that, obviously that was a dream. You don't, you don't need anybody to prove it to you. You don't even need to talk about it. It's just obvious. Oh, I'm in my real bed now. That was just a, a dream. That's what it's like dying, actually. It's like, oh, I'm in my real home now. That was just a dream. Oh, that was really interesting. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. And I love I love listening and reading about near-death experiences. And they all, that I, I have not had that experience of the more real reality. Not that you remember. That I, <laughs> except, right, exactly. Except that I do have this knowing that that is true. Yes. And I don't know, I mean... So that it's in a weird place. Maybe someday I will have that experience, but it, it's very interesting where it, it it's like, I, I want to, I want to feel that except for, I just know that that that's just a knowing that I have, but that is truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's different levels of that. You know, like I've, I've had out of body experiences. Like I had one where I was walking down my stairs and it was like, so normal. And so like, just totally normal. I had, I could feel the carpet under my toes. I could feel the crack in the wall, on my finger. I was like, am I out of body? And I get to the bottom of the stairs and I decided, no, I'm not out of body. This I, now I felt now I feel like an idiot. 
Like I actually thought that in my out of body experience, I'm just, I'm the only guy in my city walking around wondering, wondering if he's out of body, <laughs> but I was, I ended up walking through the wall and I was like, holy crap. It was, it was that real is all I'm saying. It was that real, but there are experiences that are even more lucid. Higher systems are like, like an IMAX theater by comparison to a black and white television. Mm -hmm. you know, someone, someone says, well, how do you know that was real? It's like, ah, uh, dude, like compared to the black and white television, th this is self-evidently. Yeah. 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 No, no de definition or description required. It just is. It just is. It's yeah. It's beyond description. So then yeah. back here in the black and white movie, someone says, well, how do you describe that? How do you know that that was real? All I can do is throw some black and white words at you. I can't even, you know what I mean? Like, what else mm -hmm. have I got? I got nothing. Right. <laughs> so. right. You're admitted by the context that we're in. Yeah. So why do you think it is that there are some people who, you know, have, you know, some remembering or have, you know, there's near, near death experience or seem to be coming out now with sharing mm -hmm. or they're happening more often. Why do you think that at this time in our evolution or the timing that is like there are some people who do have this awareness and are feeling called to share it with everyone else yeah so it's, it's always happened to some degree but it is on the rise and the base this so the short comment to that is that think of consciousness as vi vibration so what i mean is like the the physical universe imagine vibrating down into a certain um, frequency let's call it a frequency so imagine that our native state is 10,000 hertz and I'm just making up, I'm totally making up numbers, but imagine our native frequency is 10,000 and the physical is 26, <laughs> you know, whatever. There's a huge vibrational distance between there and here. That vibration can be felt in in the body of consciousness. It's like a, it's like a real thing. It precedes the physical and actually all thoughts even are vibratory. You can see them and they're like objects in, in um, thought responsive realities. Anyway, I don't want to get too out there. But I'm just pointing out that what's happening is the human collective consciousness is going through a an awakening process. And that just means that we are currently in, in the act of the play where we are processing all sorts of that old garbage and we are growing in love. And processing fear. Now, I know that a lot of people immediately say, well, look at on the surface. It's a big mess. Okay, it's got to be a big mess on the surface first because that's what's in our consciousness. <laughs> all that fear, all that us versus them thinking, all those old broken systems, we have to suffer through those, process them and grow. But that's not, we tend to think of that as systemic. What's first is individuals, billions of individuals who must face their own fear process their own crap. And then as each individual does that, there's a vibrational shift. So maybe the number goes from 26, maybe now it's 31 or something, you know, maybe it's even all the way up to hundred out of 10,000. And the more that that vibration changes, the more the temperature of the water rises, you could say, the vibrational distance becomes less and less and less. And the more that that distance is reduced, the more readily we all tend to have awareness of that higher nature because the distance is shortening. Um, I think that's the simplest way I can put that. <laughs> yeah. So, so really, we all know deep down, but then each one of us has a different level of association into form. This is another important aspect of this. We come. We we forget intentionally. We come. We know we're going to forget. We know we're going to like believe 100%, well, 99.99% that we're the human. <laughs> like that's what we're doing here. We know that that's the name of the game. It's the very name of the game. Okay. 
But still, even so, there are di very different differences of form association. That what I mean is there's different degrees to which consciousness is associating into the body, the sense data, the thoughts, the story, the context. We all are, we're all very, very, very unique as soul, as spiritual beings. And so the way that we relate to the world of form is unique for every single one of us. And so our relationship to form, our, the denseness of our association into it is an important part of that equation. So meditation is, you may not sit down and say, well, I'm going to try to meditate and have an experience now. No, no, no. That's not how it works. But as you gain familiarity with what you really are, your, your consciousness itself, you're loosening the form association without even trying. And that creates a space through which the higher knowing just arrives. It's just all, it's already there. Like you're already on the other side right now. There's a great quote um, from the, the guide Seth, who was channeled back in the 1970s. He said, physical reality is like a bright point of light that you never look away from, but you can. You just never look away from it. I love that because I've experienced that. It's true. It's like we're so focused on our thoughts, yeah. on our sense experience. And then, and then one day we wake up and go, oh my God, <laughs> I'm much more than this. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that have has helped me to create that space in my life is play. Yes. And, <laughs> and I, I think that truly when I, I just feel like my spirit and probably everybody's is just this like, kind of like playful. Joyful oh my gosh. Yes. Kinda. So is that <laughs> your experience as well? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. The spirit is very, very playful. Like our true nature is joy. So play is an expression of joy. Our true nature is also creative. So we all tend to be creative in some way. We like to create. We like to sense things. We like to taste things. We like to make decisions, you know, engage the world of form. But yeah, that is our true nature. That reminds me of another Seth quote. Um, on one hand, you take life too seriously. On the other hand, you do not take play seriously enough. <laughs> That's now definitely... we, we we don't we don't think of play as being very important in the working world, right? We're all about work. We got to make the money. We got to pro produce output. Yeah. Okay, but, but here's the thing: that all, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but it's unimportant in the larger context because our true nature is joy. So if you can come all the way down here where it's 26 hertz or whatever, and if you can express joy here and really know it and go play out in the rain or something, even as a serious doctor. That is success. <laughs> you see, that's like actualizing your true nature. And it might seem like a small thing. The small things are the big things. You know, our guides that watch us, they just are so overjoyed when we can find the joy and allow the joy. I say find the joy as if it's something we have to find. It's really about allowing because we all have that joy buried underneath 300 layers of crap. It's mm -hmm. always down in there underneath all the scar tissue. <laughs> that really hit me because I had this calling or this desire to create um adventure retreats for physicians where we play we zip line or create you know pottery or we paint and it's on my heart to do that is just bring like allow physicians to just play um so i love that you just said that that really kind of that, that really made me pretty emotional to think about that so if, if someone feels hesitant like oh i can't go do the play thing that's okay, but I would encourage just note like, okay, you know, why do you feel that way? Mm -hmm. Because there's conditioning. It's okay to recognize you're conditioned to all heck. 
That's yeah. okay. That's a very that's a very normal part of the awakening process is to go, oh my gosh, I've been really conditioned. <laughs> we love to play. We love to enjoy. We love to love. We love yeah. to admire and see beauty. We love to have free time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know we're getting close to ending, but if I could just um, selfishly ask you how to parent my children. <laughs> I'm no expert. I'm no expert at that. Um, just because, I mean, they're little, so they'll say things to me like, I came through a portal to get here. And I'm like, that's probably true. I mean, I, yeah, why yeah. would you say portal when you're five? What do you even know about a portal? You know, or my, so there are, and I, I want, yeah. There's so few people there. It's more, but consciously allowing the inner child. I, I, because yeah. so much of that is so important as adults. It's like healing the inner child, finding the inner child. But it's like when you have the child, yeah. How do you not damage them in the first? Yeah. Place? <laughs> I mean, I know, or yeah. limited it, and at least. Yeah. How do you? How do you not limit it? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I'm. I'm remind your comment. First of all, reminds me of something. So my my sister has had um, three children and she had twins and one of the twins was a young boy and he used to say things commonly that referred to his pre-life existence and he never really remembered it when I was around but I would always, uh, well except for like one time I was like, you got to try to remember because you're going to forget and he's like, I'm not going to forget. I'm like, yes, you will. Yes, you will. You got to really remember you or <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to remember. Anyway, um, just one comment. I mean, your, your question is very broad because once again, it has to do with quality of intention and how do we provide that loving environment for them? How do we recognize them and honor them and teach them, but also see them for who they are? And so that's the thing I, that I feel called to lift up when it comes to parenting. These children are not new. <laughs> like they may be new in this experience and they may not know how to tie their shoes yet or, or you know, whatever. We are not new when we come. We have an incredible depth of being. Each soul is like a universe unto itself. And like on the surface and the physical, humans look all kind of the same. We got anatomy that's all similar. We all, most of us have got two eyeballs and a head and two shoulders and we look the same. The soul is so unique, so colorful, so precious, so absolutely unique. And every one of the children that, that we see in front of us as a body is a very, very unique, powerful soul that has its own knowledge, its own history, its own power. So I feel like trying to find that and honor that and hear that is one of the most important things we can do as parents because it's allowing that being to thrive by being themselves in this constraint set, in this context. And they may ask questions that are like so off the wall because they don't have all the assumptions that we've been conditioned with yet. So I'm, I kind of suffer from this too much actually, because like sometimes my wife will say to me, you have to teach them. They don't know how to do that yet. And I'll be like, oh yeah, because I just know, I see them and feel them as very powerful, wise beings. I don't like, I feel like I don't need to teach them, but then I have to consciously say, okay, I'm their father in this life. They don't know how to do that yet. That's a skill. I got to teach them the skill. That's fine. But meanwhile, at least, you know, in my house, I, I've always said to them, just whoever you are, let me know if you feel like you need to do something, if you feel like you want to be someone, if you feel like you want to perform some activity or whatever, just let me know. I will do my best to clear the way for you. They kind of get sick of hearing it, I think, in my house. Um, but I think that's really important for us to do. Like basically, kids are not just kids. It's they're they're wise. <laughs> in yeah. fact, they're less burdened than we are. We after 40, 50, 60 years of conditioning. We're the ones who have become often curmudgeonly in in our you know routine, 
And they're mm-hmm. the ones that arrive and remind us of the joy of who we really are. That's one of the reasons so many people love children. They children can play with anything. They play with a cardboard box. You know, they're just they mm-hmm. just find joy because that's the nature of spirit, and that we see that and it reminds us. So they can be our teachers too. Yeah, I found that mostly with my six month old because um, I just I'm a I'm different now. You know, I, I know more <laughs> spiritually than I did my eight when my oldest was born, and just yeah. watching him the joy he gets from like chewing on his toe and there's no sense of time or urgency. He doesn't care that I need to go to work. I need to change his diaper right now. (laughs) And it's such a good reminder to say like, Oh, this is just that that's the, our native being. And then all the, we just pour on crap. (laughs) It's not all crap. It's not all crap, but yeah, lots of conditioning. Lots of, yeah. Oh, this has been so wonderful. Could I just ask you maybe as, you've already been so giving with with your knowledge and and everything is there a message or something that you feel like physicians it all of the things that we talked about like physicians in healthcare and in the toxic culture that we're in today mm-hmm. that might help someone yeah you, you know really when they're suffering or drowning like is there anything on your heart that you want yeah to share? I, yeah there absolutely is and this is an area i've really worked through a lot in my life I'm usually on the receiving end, <laughs> mm-hmm. but just one thing. So first of all, um, I feel like it's generally beneficial for, it, w- it would be f- beneficial for physicians to recognize the limitations of the current health understanding and leave open that space for intuition because the physician's intuition is going to speak if you listen, because the patient's the patient is a part of you too, even if you don't want to, you don't have to think about it that way, but whatever the real problem is, it will there's, there's off, I'll just say it this way. There's often solutions that don't seem obvious or don't seem even logical. You know, the, the system as a whole, not just the body, but the energy body, it's very complex and it's very personal. And sometimes what one person needs is totally out on the end of like the, the probability curve of what, you know, <laughs> what anybody might need. We need to be open to hearing that and then expressing and, or maybe just following the nudge. Like, you know, for some reason, I have a feeling that you're not going to tolerate this med or you, this one treatment might be good for, or you know what, I, for some reason, I just feel like this one thing might, you know, whatever, be open to that because there really is power in that if we're humble enough, because the logical mind is immediately going to say, oh no, no, that doesn't make any sense. That's okay. That's okay. There's a place for that too, but just be open to that guidance. And the second thing I wanted to lift up is seeing your patient, being present with them and seeing them is so important in healing. Like I've been in the hospital a number of times and I'm telling you what, when you are laid out, I know this is hour to hour routine for many physicians to deal with sick people. But when you are in that state and you are met with presence and care, it is the most powerful, amazing thing possible. It is a way of sharing love, just being present with them for a few seconds, see them (laughs) it's not even an action I'm describing. I'm describing a state of being, a state of openness and just um, like genuine care. That's real care. Like you may not have touched anything in the physical, but if you bring that genuine care to someone, even for a few seconds, there is an energetic thing that happens. It can allow healing. That's very powerful. That's like true healing is like that, that space sterility is important clinical is important i i know there's a physical place for all that it works it's functional but we can't ignore (laughs) the true 
form of life and how it's arisen in that sterile clinical environment, it, it just allowing some space for that allows healing and permits healing in a way that's just so important. Like we're here to be healers, like all of us, not just physicians. And yeah. uh, one other thing I'll say is, and I recognize it's not the physician's job to heal the patient. <laughs> it's actually the patient's job. So part of what we're doing here is to empower each other, not just solve, not just fix a broken thing. We're here to empower each other. So anytime I walk into a physician's office, I don't know if they like this or not, but the first thing I say is, I know this is not your job to fix me. This is my job, but I'm very peculiar. I have a lot of unusual <laughs> things other people don't deal with. I'm not on the main bell curve. You're going to have to treat me differently. you know. So being open to that kind of exchange where we can actually mutually help each other, that's huge. That's huge. That qualitative aspect is huge. I love those were perfect messages and intuition was actually one of the questions I didn't get to. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's really amazing. Christian, thank you so much for your time. And I'll link some of, if it's okay, some of the other interviews that you've done and of course your book. And um, I recommend I read it online and then I bought a copy and now my husband's reading it. It's amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much. I just want to say one last thing. I want to say a huge thank you to all the physicians out there because <laughs> I know that in one sense, being a physician is glorified in our culture, but I'm telling you what, I've seen in the other sense, physicians, nurses are often treated like crap. <laughs> You're doing such an important job under so much stress with so little information, you know, like true, true information. And it's just often a thankless job in a very rigorous system. But I just want to say your intention to actually go out and heal and help people in this in this way it's so important. Oh my gosh, it's so critical. Take care of yourself first, love yourself and recognize you're more than this job, but also recognize the, the blessed value that you're offering and the opportunity you have in the role. It's huge. And thank you for that role. That's all, that's all I mean to say is thank you for recognizing and being there in, in that way. I feel like all doctors and nurses need to be thanked like every day so that, you know, <laughs> they remember who they are in the midst of all this. I agree. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. Hey there. Just wanted to take some quick time here to let you know that if you have been thinking about doing a podcast and it feels really overwhelming and you like the idea of podcasting, but the other stuff like the editing and production feels too overwhelming. I wanted to let you know about the people who now edit and produce my podcast, which is Pretty Easy Podcasts. And for the first year and a half of my podcast, I was doing everything myself and I had tried to contract out editing and it was really got some really, really bad results. So I was hesitant to try again, but I'm so glad that I did because working with Pretty Easy Podcasts has been so amazing. They can get your shows recorded, posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. You could record from home, your office or the park or really anywhere. And then they totally cater to your schedule and they're, it's just so easy to work with them. I cannot say enough good things. So if it's been on your mind to do a podcast, then definitely check out Pretty Easy Podcast at prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. It's super affordable and it's so fun working with them. So definitely check it out. <music>